like admiration for our student athletes is boundless. Like, you know, moving to a country, you haven't got friends, you haven't got a support system, high academics, high pressure sport. Like, that, that's amazing. Hi everyone, my name is Dr. Pete Olishaga and this is 80% Mental, the 54th best sports podcast in Lebanon, apparently. Uh, welcome to another episode of this third series in which I'm trying to explore the mental aspects of as many different areas of performance as I can. And in this episode, I'm going to be exploring the psychology of the student athlete. Now, right off the bat, let's talk about the term student athlete. It's generally used in North America rather than in Europe to describe college or university students or even secondary school students who take part in organized sports or athletic programs offered by the school or the college that they're at. And it's fair to say that the term student athlete is not without controversy or controversy, depending on where you are. In collegiate sport in particular, the term student athlete has actually been heavily criticized and a lot of people have called for the language to be changed, suggesting that the term student athlete strips players of their agency limits their identity to one of student rather than worker and implies that they should almost be grateful to be there rather than expect to be treated as you know a, a valuable employee i mean after all the ncaa generates over a billion dollars a year in revenue and while i do want to acknowledge all of that and maybe that's a conversation for another day i've used the term here in a completely descriptive sense because I want to talk about the psychology of young people who are trying to balance studying with sports, trying to make it as an athlete while pursuing excellence in academics, all the while going through an important period of personal growth and, and self-discovery, all the trials and tribulations of being young. And I don't want to sound patronizing there either. I remember from my own experience, my late teens and early 20s, I was an absolute disaster. So I'm speaking from experience there. Um, but as usual, I've enlisted a, a wonderful group of guests, a trio of guests, in fact, to uh, help me find out a little bit more about the psychology of the student athlete. And I'm going to introduce them right now. Uh, first up, uh, we've got Duncan Simpson, Dr. Duncan Simpson, who is the Director of Personal Development at IMG Academy in Florida, where he oversees the mental conditioning and the leadership departments whose staff deliver mental leadership training to almost 400 student athletes and coaches across multiple different sports. Uh, Duncan's a certified mental performance consultant. Uh, and serves on the executive board for ASP, the Association of Applied Sports Psychology, uh, as the division head for research and practice. And in 2021, uh, Duncan became an ASP fellow in recognition of his contributions to the field. So first of all, Duncan, congratulations. Uh, but second, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much, Pia. Just one correction. We have uh, 1,400 student athletes. I wish it was just 400. What did I say? Did I say 400? <laughs> Yeah, four hundred. Yeah, that that'd be that'd be easy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, welcome, welcome to the podcast. Uh, obviously, you've been working with athletes at, at all levels for almost twenty years now. What are some of your career highlights? You know, what are, what are some of the, your, your favorite experiences of of working with athletes or, or, or teams that you've been working with? I think you know I've I've worked with the real little ones, and I've, I worked at college and some pros. But you know, I think not just saying this, I think my, my favorite time has been at the academy working with the boys and girls tennis program and 
certainly for kind of the last three years, specifically with the boys program and the higher levels of the boys program to to work with some of the guys that are, you know, going into college or trying to transition into pro um, and, and being on that journey with them. That's really been the kind of really exciting, to be honest, and, and seeing, you know, and supporting them and seeing the great work that they do, but working with coaches. So I think being at the academy and those two programs over the last few years has been uh, just, just will always stay with me, to be honest. Uh, just for, for people who perhaps aren't necessarily familiar, I know people in the UK might not be as familiar with the IMG Academy. Can you just tell us like a, a little bit about, about the Academy itself? Yeah, the Academy was uh, founded by Nick Bollettieri, which some people know, Hall of Fame tennis coach um, back in the 1970s. And, and now it's grown to, we have eight sports, about to be nine with volleyball in, introduced to campus. So we have 1,400 student athletes, across nine sports. Um, tennis is one of our bigger programs. We have a huge campus, um, as you can imagine, to house all those athletes. We have, I think, over a thousand staff on campus. And um, it's kind of like the Disneyland of sports, but for like high school, it's really a functioning high school, but um, we have about 50% of our student body are international. So that presents unique challenges and, and great opportunities. It's really a melting pot of um, nationalities for i think 80 plus countries so that's really cool with the diversity piece and we have about i think 90 percent of our student athletes live on campus so it's it's kind of a you know 365 literally 365 24 7 um mm. all about sports but high academics as well so that's kind of the the big picture piece and uh we also have you know a few other pieces we have a virtual component now of doing mental training on the virtual side and we also have NCSA, which is our recruiting um, company. So it's really, you know, putting all the resources around the student athletes to give them the, the best potential, the best opportunity to hit that potential, I'd say. Well, Duncan, it sounds like you've got a lot on your plate there. So I really appreciate you taking the, uh, some time out this afternoon to come and talk to us and, and getting your insights. Um, but it wouldn't be a podcast about the student athlete if we didn't have a student athlete. So I also want to welcome to the podcast Atakan Karahan, uh, all the way from Turkey, a student at the IMG Academy, uh, as a junior ranking, as a tennis player, as a junior ranking of 56. Um, and you've been at the Academy a few years now, Atakan, is that right? Yeah, it's my second year Academy. And uh, I'm really grateful to be in IMG Academy. I think it's really a good place to practice because we have a lot of opportunities here. We have chance to hit with a lot of pros. We have really good coaches and I, we, I have like really good friends around and I'm really happy to be around them. Awesome, and, and you're turning pro? I'm, I'm told you'll be turning pro pretty soon, is that right? Oh yeah, I'm trying to go pro. Hopefully I will make it. <laughs> <laughs> Well, well, first of all, good luck to you. Um, yeah. And I'm really looking forward to, to speaking to you a little bit more during the podcast about your your insights into being a student athlete. Um, but that's not all. We're joined by a third guest as well. We're joined by Coach Wei Liu Chang, who is the head of boys tennis at the academy. Uh, he's been on staff for 12 years, coaching for around 20 years, uh, has been a pro athlete. Uh, but you were a, a student at the academy as well. Is that right? That's correct. Six-year student. So... Tell me a little bit about your role as a coach then. Out of boys tennis, what does that involve? Uh, honestly, it's, uh, it's, it's really fulfilling because as much as I love coaching, I really love setting the stage 
for the coaches that are on court now, my head coaches, and creating an environment that can allow those coaches to do their best work and impact students and really just pave the way for them, help create schedules, do a lot of the behind the scenes work. And then honestly, the most fun that I have is connecting with students and families and making sure that everyone's running on all cylinders and, and getting everything that they need. So I, I manage people and, and set the environment. Awesome. Well, once again, thank you so much to all three of you for uh, taking a little bit of time out of your schedules uh, to come on the 80% Mental Podcast. So like I said, it's a, a podcast about the student athlete and I, I kind of want to jump right in and, and talk to Atakan here about how you, um, how you found yourself at IMG. You know, tell me a little bit about your, your background, how you maybe got into tennis and, and how you mm -hmm. found yourself in Florida. I was, I was born in Turkey. I started tennis when I was five. I started as a hobby during summer. Summer break, I, was, I, I used to play soccer before. And my tennis club was really close to my house, which is like 10 minutes walk. So I started there. I really liked tennis in the beginning. And I was, I was actually pretty good in the young age also. I won nationals when I was nine. And I got into a national team at when I was 11. And, and after I was first in under 14 Europe ranking. And... I was, how I find myself in IMG, I was talking with Federation actually. They wanted to help me and they contact with IMG if I can practice in IMG. And they, they contact with IMG and that's, I'm here right now. <laughs> <laughs> so quite, quite a lot of success early on for you at a, at a pretty young age, right? Yeah. I guess as, as you've, as you've developed as a tennis athlete and probably as you've been at IMG as well, how, how important would you say the, the mental aspect of tennis is for you? Is that something that you've always been aware of or something that you've perhaps maybe developed as you've, uh, as you've come on as a, as, a, as a tennis player? I think it's, it's been always important for us since we started tennis, but I think the, the difference starts at like when, when I started playing juniors, it was the, I think, biggest factor for me. Because at the young age, it's not that really important, I think, because we have like different abilities at young age. But when I started playing juniors, everyone was actually pretty same. We had we had like almost same shots. Everyone was like hitting great. We, we didn't have so many like uh, different uh, different tennis skills. Mm. So at the juniors, I think mental part is which is coming up more important and I started development development in juniors, I think. And I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about, you know, what it was like to have that success at such a young age. Did you did you feel the pressure, or was it, was you were you just kind of enjoying playing tennis? At, at I was actually really enjoying because our country is not really big tennis country. We don't mm -hmm. have many players at young age. Also, like also in pro, we have like just a couple players. So it's been like really important for me, for my country also. That's how they started supporting me. And it's been really good for me. And uh, Wei Liu, I want to bring you in here um, to talk about this, this kind of 
mental aspect of, of, of the sport, you know, from a coaching perspective. Um, how involved are you in terms of, you know, deliberately coaching those mental skills or integrating psychology into what you do as the, as the coach? So that's probably a two-part question, and I'll answer it from my personal perspective, especially in my position now. Mm. I, I definitely feel like I'm a problem solver in, in, in my position, and people, you know, coaches or students or families will bring me in when there's something to fix. And on a daily basis with the small things, it's losing matches, right? And so I'll talk to these students, and so much of it, in tennis is what you're thinking about when you're not hitting the ball. You know, tennis is set up to where you play, you have downtime. You play, you have downtime. That the thought process during the downtime is is pretty much everything. And then through my relationship with Duncan, he's actually taught me so much about how to put your thoughts in a certain place. And what we do here at IMG, obviously, each one of us in each of our departments are, are experts. We are told to hey, you work in your area of expertise and everyone takes care of that. So I try to cover the basics. And the way I do that is before I tee it up for our mental coaches is that all players have to know their, their own identity, who they are as a player, your game style, you know, what's your personality like? Are you a loud person? Are you, you know, a little more introverted? You're more calm, you know? So I totally believe that the mental part of it is being who you are so you can perform at your best. And then, of course, as far as the X's and O's of tennis, if you are a person that likes to move forward in the court, you have to have a plan on how to move. You can't just run forward. So the mental side of things is it's calming when I'm doing the things that I know I can do. Because if we get into a tight moment, the score is even, it's late in the match, and I'm trying something that I haven't perfected yet, well, I'm going to panic. I'm going to be nervous. So I help the students on a regular basis on my advice is doing the things that you can do and do it for as long as you can do it. And that gives a sense of calm. And again, you could call that mental toughness, you know, but I just like to, I like to take that away because everyone, every student, every parent wants to say, oh, they need to work on their mental game. <laughs> and it's this, this, you know, mythical creature that you have to try to wrangle. And, and, but being a tennis coach, I want you to know your game. I want you to execute your game to the best of your ability and let the chips fall wherever they may. So that's, that's how I approach it before I may elicit a Duncan's help to really dive deeper into, you know, maybe a, a mental skill tool or an obstacle. Uh, and Duncan, what, what's your take on that? Obviously you've moved into this director role rather than um, um, specifically working with the athletes. Like what's your, your take on what Whaley's saying there? Yeah. I mean, I think I was extremely fortunate to, to work with Way and some other really good coaches that, Quite honestly, it's it's got to be a relationship where they know the tennis side way better than I do. Um, so it's kind of married, marrying, you know, the tennis, the tactical, the technical, um, getting their insights on the identity of the player, and then helping. With my help, is also working on some of the mental skills and making sure it fits with their personality. How do we kind of align everything, and that we're really kind of singing from the same same hymn sheet as it were um so when i'm on court and i'm working with a coach i'm going and say look i i really think i want to get these messages across these are the these are the, the parts of the knowledge i want to 
give the athletes these are the skills you know how do we create the environment where that that learning transfer can occur so that I'll you know I'll ask them like what are some you know drills that we can use that will really best amplify this message and honestly Wei Lu and other coaches would be masterful at that and then they can reinforce it so it might be a a drill that uh, a coach may set up for they'll talk about it in terms of consistency so for example 50 balls down the middle is consistency for me it's focus so they might do the same drill but now we're emphasizing focus as opposed to consistency it's not a big switch for the athlete but we're emphasizing something different so the drills may be look exactly the same but the points in what we're emphasizing are different so that's how we've kind of integrated in with the coaches to make sure that there's alignment so there's a real kind of synergy there between the psychologist and the coach in delivering what you might call mental skills 100%. in a way that yes. the athlete can can really grab a hold of in their in their training. Yeah. Um, uh, Atakan, I want to come back to you now and and just yeah. ask you about this. You know, the the deliberate working on mental skills uh, or, or the mental aspects of the game. Um, what are some of the things that you might deliberately work on, or, or what are some of the things that you're I guess, aware of from the mental side of, of, of tennis? Uh, recently, I was working on uh, to stay focused during the matches, not to lose focus, because I have like so many so many up and downs during the match. I can lose the focus quickly. It's sometimes hard to get it back because your opponent is not, not going to let you like win easy points because I, I, I always need to stay there. When I lose focus, even like two minutes, it's a really big difference. It's going to be maybe I'm going to lose my service game. He's going to break me. So I'm trying to always stay in the match. Yeah. So so it's, it's something that you will deliberately work on in practice, that focus, like, like yeah. Duncan and Whaley have just been talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. This is the 80% Mental Podcast. I'm here with uh, up-and-coming tennis athlete Atakan Karahan, uh, Coach Wei-Lu Chang, and Dr. Duncan Simpson from the IMG Academy. We're talking about the psychology of the student-athlete. Um, we, we, we've just, in the first part there, been talking a little bit about psychological skills, mental skills, and integrating them into uh, training, uh, integrating them into practice. But I wonder... Um, you know, if we talk specifically about the student athlete, um, and I'll come to uh, Wei Lu first on this, what, what do you see as the real mental challenges for student athletes, um, as opposed to perhaps the the tennis pro, the slightly older athlete? Like, are there are there some specifics there that you consider when you're working with this sort of younger population? I think I can sum it up in one word and it's balance. <laughs> it really yeah. is because, and what I try to do for every student in the beginning of our journey is stress a balance because as a young person, you can be distracted, you know, and, and, and all of us can understand, you know, in our, in our past working with different athletes, as you get to an adult, you know, you expect a certain level of focus and, you know, cutting out of distractions, but the younger your students get, the more distractions are there, or you have to, as the coach, have to build into, hey, this is allowable distraction. Let me let them unfocus for now so that we can refocus later. So on our campus, 
we have a, a, you know, like Duncan said, it's a big combination of high level sport, high level academics. But as young kids, especially in this generation that we have, is that third component of their your social time. Because they're high performing athletes, they're going to want the best out of their academics. So they're, they're A students. And then on top of that, how are you going to have a release, a break from focusing so hard? That's where you got to have some good social time. You know, whether it's just hanging out, whether it's going on a trip, whatever it may be. But the athlete really needs to know when it's time to focus and then when it's time to break, when to refocus, when to switch gears. For the IMG Academy athlete, it is switching. Or for boys tennis, you focus really hard on sport in the morning, have a break, and then you take care of your schoolwork in the afternoon, and then you have to recover, reset, and do it all again. So that balance between your different jobs as a student athlete, as a young person, is probably the biggest difference compared to that pro because that pro is solely focused on the performance. Okay, now I'm training, but the goal is to win matches, to win tournaments, to win slams and titles, so on and so forth. So Mm -hmm. everything they do only revolves around having better performance in the end. With my psychology head on here, I'm hearing some stuff in there around identity and making sure that these young athletes have a, a fairly rounded identity uh, as opposed to identifying solely as an athlete. Um, Duncan, what do you, what do you, what's your take on that as well? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. Kind of, it's it's what we do and not who we are, and we we kind of message that pretty consistently with our athletes. I think with us, it's you know recognizing kind of that human desire to belong often outweighs that desire to be extraordinary. So with our, with our athletes, you know, what Adakan and a few others are trying to do is it's not normal. It's they're trying to be extraordinary. So they have to kind of fight against the norm of, you know, there's a lot of our student body that are here and are going to be good tennis players and are going to go and play in college, but they're not trying to be professional or they're not going to get to that level. So you have to ignore some of the the signals of like this is this is what like everyone's doing. I have to do a little bit more and I have to do a little bit extra. So for for me, working with groups is also understanding what is the path that our athletes on. Like what is success to them? Where are they trying to go? You know, if they're trying to go, you know, Division three college tennis, that's great. That's perfect. If that's their goal, if they're trying to go pro, that's going to look different. Um, and the sacrifices, um, and not in a negative connotation, but the things that they need to do are going to look different. And they have to understand that it's going to look different, perhaps to their roommate. And they're going to, you know, spend a lot of time together. But they have to understand that that might be very different. So I think with the, uh, again, comparison with, with pros, um, Waylo's hit on it a lot. I think my work with them is obviously the, the cognitive and emotional development is not is not where it is with a pro because of the brain development. Um, that that level of self-awareness is not quite there, uh, as high as when you're working with a pro. And honestly, the kind of the the cliche of like every day we show up as a different version of ourselves, like that that is even more paramount, like even heavier in the adolescent population. Every day, you know, um, there's just a lot of development going on. So they're going to be different versions of themselves when they come to practice and they compete. And that's not a criticism. Um, in fact, like my kind of admiration for our student athletes is to be honest, like boundless, like, 
you know, moving to a country where, you know, English isn't your primary language, you haven't got friends, you haven't got a support system, high academics, high pressure sport. That, that's amazing. I, I couldn't have done that. I couldn't have done that when I was a teenager. Like that would have been a huge struggle. And yet that's what our student body does. Um, and they managed to find a way. So just huge admiration for our student body for the, the kind of being able to just do that and perform. So I could go on all day about the differences between the youth and the, and the pros, um, but I'll stop there for now. So uh, Adekan, you're, you're the athlete here, and I'd, I'd love to get your perspective on this. You know, you mentioned earlier on that you're at the academy, you've got friends around you. You know, what, what, what do you see as the, the challenges for you as a student athletes and, and maybe even, you know, some of the other athletes that are around you at the academy? What are the, the challenges? I mean, you're 16 years old, going on yeah. 17, and again, I remember when I was 16, the kinds of things that I would get distracted by. So, you know, what are, what are the real challenges for you? For me, the biggest challenge here, I think being far from home without seeing mm. my family. But when I think about it, like it's always has to, I, I always need to uh, give some sacrifices. Uh, also, I have a lot of friends here. They're also far from home. We are always, trying to support each other. We are always trying to be there for each other. We are actually here like a family. I'm kind of far away from my family, but actually we are like small family here with my coaches, with my friends. So it's actually not really bothering me right now. It's my second year here, so I get used to it. I think the biggest challenge is for me being far from home. But as I said, we are also family here and I'm not doing school as, as much as my I, other friends, but I'm still trying to do some exams. I'm still tr trying to do some like homeworks and stuff. But I have extra practices comparing to my other friends. Mm -hmm. I practice more in afternoons, and yeah, I think. So, so you know, Coach Chang talked about that balance. Mm -hmm. So, how how do you maintain that balance? You know, you just talked about having extra practices, but you're still trying to do exams and you know have friends around. How how do you? Uh, maintain that balance between those different aspects of, of what you do it's really actually tough for mental side but when i when i like remember why i'm here for i'm trying to go pro it's always gonna take some time and it's gonna be challenges around so uh i'm always trying to keep in touch with my family because they help me a lot with that and i, I always trying to get some more sleep i think it's really important <laughs> <laughs> Because if, if I sleep late, I, I will not able to wake up early. Sleep sleep helps me a lot. And spending uh, time with my friends here, it's help, helping me a lot to, to get some out of like practices and everything. And that's all I think I can say. Awesome. Is, is that something that's um, uh, that you guys see is particularly important? Duncan and Wailu, that, that social support, that network of support for the, the, the for the athletes at the academy? Yeah, I think I think there's kind of the, the two sides of the coin. I, I think it's one, it's absolutely essential. I think, um, you know, we all have that, again, sense of belonging. And I think most people, you know, human nature want to be around other people and, and feel a community that that's kind of, that's natural. Um, and then recognizing when that, for, for certain athletes, when that becomes a distraction and you haven't got the right people around you and some of those people holding you back. 
So uh, Atakan is, you know, he's he's in a group with other really high-level players, um, but can socialize across the whole of the student body. So I have to recognize who are the people that potentially, you know, that may not be good to hang out with and may not be good to socialize with and not, may not make good decisions and who are the people like that will support and that will drive them in the right direction. So I think that social side is definitely a two-sided coin and it, it comes down to that kind of maturity and decision-making. Um, and I think those that those athletes that can navigate that are going to be the ones that are successful. And like I said, it's, he's trying to do something, you know, extraordinary and not everyone here is, and that's not a criticism, but if you're on that path, this is your path. You have to understand what it takes. And that's why you have people like Wei Lu, who's gone on that path to, to guide you. Yeah. Uh, they've both been hitting the nail on the head and have great aspects. I think one other aspect is uh, for any athlete is, when you believe it's possible, it becomes possible. That's one big thing. So, so being in an environment like IMG Academy where we have pros around, when we have sent players in our program to that next level, that's, that's a big confidence builder. And then on top of that, going through the journey of this and what, what Atak is trying to do is so difficult. I mean, honestly, Stat-wise, it's near impossible, right? We're talking about one percenters. Mm -hmm. But having others around him at a similar age, at a similar level, making similar sacrifices as him, him having those players to do it with him going to the tournaments, winning and losing together, I think helps take the burden off as well. It's interesting that you mentioned those statistics there about the number of, of young athletes who actually do make it to the, to the pros. So statistically, you know, you talked about having 1,400 athletes. Um, how many of them are actually going to make it to that, that professional level, uh, going to kind of achieve their dreams? So again, as a coach and, and maybe Duncan, from your perspective as well, like, is that something that you talk about with the athletes? Is that something that... Um, that's really considered like what you know that their their ambitions their goals and, and sort of the real realism of those things yeah i mean i think it's a great question i think across our, our eight nine sports now the the reality is is that that path um is different because of the college system over here so mm -hmm. some of our athletes have that desire to go professional um but we're a developmental academy and we're preparing them for that next stage. So for, for a lot of our sports, that next stage is, you know, division one college. If they want to, you know, their desire to turn professional, they'll, they'll football, basketball, most of the others will have to go through that college system, you know, mm -hmm. golf, tennis, uh, baseball to a degree, there's that opportunity to potentially turn professional at the end of your high school career. So we're really, you know, depending on the sport, it's setting them up giving them hopefully the tools and the skills and the experiences to allow them to make that transition into that next level. Um, and for some of our athletes, it might be a college might be the next level and then it's pro for some. Like Adakan, it's we're hoping that it's that straight transition into pro. Um, so it's absolutely knowing that path, what is their goals, what are their desires. And then, you know, it's not, it's not my job to obviously determine whether they they can make that or not. Um, that's not my business to crush dreams or anything like that is to, mm. is to obviously ask good questions and, and support them when they make, uh, when they're making some of those decisions, do I go pro? Do I do this? Da, da, da. But honestly, I think a lot of athletes are self-aware enough that they self-select and they understand compared to my peer group, this is where I am. And I understand like, 
I'm not quite ready for this. I need to do this tournament results, you know, selection, all the rest, it kind of weeds some of that out. Mm. But I think the coaches and Wei Lu, I've been in those meetings, Wei Lu does a good job of kind of some of that realism has to be part of it. it we have to support and we have to say, look, if you want to go there, these are the things you need to do. And these, are you doing X to get to Y? Um, so I think Wei can probably talk to those uh, quote unquote realistic conversations a little, little more than I can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This is so it's a wonderful topic. And I think Duncan said it best. We don't want to be a dream killer. Mm -hmm. And again, who are we as coaches to put limits on other humans? We have no idea what their potential is or when they're going to hit their potential. They could be a late bloomer. They could, you know, they don't have to be a star at nine years old. So what I set as goals for everyone is going to be, we're just going to reach the next level. Whatever that is, we're going to reach the next level. And when you reach that next level, we're now setting our sights on the next level until there are no more levels to reach per your age, okay? Where you're a senior graduating, okay, there's no more levels to reach. Now, if you're not at that pro level, we're going to college. And depending on what college you're able to play at, right? Maybe we still have pro aspirations. That means that college has to be a division one level program. And it's got to be a coach that supports that next stage of development and then into pros. So I hate having to tell someone, no, you're not <laughs> going to be a professional. So mm -hmm. the way I do it is going to be, this is what it takes. If you're going to be a professional, what has typically happened in history is for our guys, most of them have been playing professional tennis, at least dabbled in the beginnings of it, somewhere between 17 and 20, right? It's going to be about your college years. Nowadays, the ATP is getting older. So we see many more cases where you're going off to be a division one tennis player and then making that jump. So we are also now having those conversations with families and students is, all right, plan B could be, let's get some more maturity in college, play a lot of matches and still play a fall schedule of pro events and then see where you end up there and then see if we can make a transition. You know, sometimes finances get in the way too. And hey, you know, you don't, your, your family can't support this dream and you're not backed by a federation or an agency. So we do have to go to college now. You know, I think you do have the talent, but college is your path. And then let's go from here. Sometimes you're 17 years old and you're still at the beginning stages and you tell me you want to be a pro. And I said, okay, well, I guess we're just going to have to sign you up for a pro tournament and you'll learn on your own and you'll have to hit that wall. So there are many different ways. But again, in 20 years of coaching, I've had to tell one student directly, you're not going to be a professional because I just don't think it's necessary. Because again, I don't want to limit anyone. If you're 13 years old, I'm definitely not going to tell you you're not going to be a pro because I'm definitely not the one that's going to say, you're, you've got a limit and I don't believe in you. Okay. So, um, I started 
changing things up a little bit in the podcast because I realized that we have these conversations about various topics in sports psychology and I come away from them not really feeling like I've got to know the the uh, the guests. So I've got this new segment and I haven't thought of a name for it yet. But what what I've got is I've got four uh, envelopes here. Um, you can see them here. Um, and inside each of these envelopes is a set of quick fire questions. So the, the um, categories that we've got are deep and meaningful, either or, uh, have you ever, or last time. So first of all, are, are you guys up for this? I'm up for Duncan and Atakin answering these for sure. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, so uh, Adakan, I'm going to get you to choose the envelope and then we'll... we'll uh, so one, two, three, or four? Uh, I'll go with two. With two, okay. Let's yeah. see. What have we got? We've got... Oh, we've got, we've got either or. Oh, okay. Here it is. Um, that was... We had this on the last podcast yeah. as well. Um we have to switch the envelopes up. Okay. So, quick fire questions, either or, and I'll kind of just go around the three of you. Uh, we'll start off nice and nice and easy. Um, Duncan, tea or coffee? Oh, that's not. Oh, that's a tough one. For, <laughs> that's the, for a in America now. Oh man, I'll, fire. I'll take coffee. Uh, Waylu? Tea, I'm Asian. <laughs> Adekan, tea or coffee? I go break, uh, tea for breakfast and other otherwise I go coffee. Okay. <laughs> this is this is like the easy opener. <laughs> <We've already got laughs> the toughest question. It's yeah, almost Adekan like with, what's your favorite movie? Yeah, Adekan with two answers and Duncan just like <laughs> losing his mind over tea or coffee. I mean, the correct answer is neither. They're both absolutely disgusting, but we know what we've got. Pancakes or waffles? Uh, Waylu? Pancakes. Pancakes. Waffles. Okay. Uh, adventure holiday or beach holiday? Uh, Attica. Beach holiday. Duncan? I'll go adventure. Beach. This is a good one. Uh, drive or be driven? Be driven. My dream is a chauffeur. <laughs> <laughs> I'll say be driven. Uh, Attica, do you drive yet? Uh, sometimes. Sometimes, okay. <laughs> yeah, I will say be driven also. Okay, really, I, I, I would say drive. I'm a horrible, horrible passenger. <laughs> a really, really bad passenger. Uh, so it would drive every time for me. Um, would you rather explore space or explore the oceans? Weilu. Oceans. Atakan. I will say oceans. Yeah, I'll go oceans too. Oceans, yeah. okay, all right. Um, okay, would you rather work as a team or work on your own? Duncan, you go first. Team. 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 Okay. Interesting from the from the, the, the solo sport player. Yeah. <laughs> um would you rather get a one big present or a bunch of little presents? I'll go big present. Big. I will go a bunch of small. Bunch of small presents. I'm with you. I, I like yeah, the, the 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 more the better. Um okay, last one then. Pineapple on pizza, yes or no? Yes. Yes. Big no for me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not convinced about the whole pineapple on pizza thing. A friend of mine would be absolutely disgusted with Duncan <laughs> and Waylu 
right now. <laughs> Love it. Um, I'm not quite as militant about it, but uh, yeah, it's a, it's a no from me as well. Um, guys, thank you for uh, for playing the game that I still don't have a name for, um, <laughs> but I will, I will think of one eventually. <laughs> Um, I'm here with Coach Weilu Chang, Dr. Duncan Simpson, and Atikan Karahan uh, from the IMG Academy in Florida. And we're talking about the psychology of the student athlete. Uh, it's been a really interesting conversation so far. Uh, if you are enjoying what you're listening to, uh, give us a like or a share or any of that good social media stuff. Uh, you can subscribe at 80percentmental.com where you can listen to all of our other episodes, or you can follow us on Twitter at EPM Podcast or on Instagram at 80% Mental. We'd love to know what you think uh, about the conversation. Maybe you're a student athlete or maybe you're a coach of student athletes. Uh, we'd love to hear, love to hear your thoughts. Um, Duncan, I want to I come back to you um, and just talk a little bit more about your role at the Academy. Um, and I guess what I'm interested in you touched on this a little bit earlier. You know, what what are sort of the main principles of psychology that you're trying to integrate into the program for these young athletes? And that's kind of a really broad question there, but you know, if you could give us maybe a, a flavor or some examples. Yeah, I think what we tried to do with with tennis in particular, um, how I've worked away learning, might have spoke to the what we talked about earlier is kind of representative learning design. So trying to trying to teach the things that I do and make it make it embedded into the practice environment. So making sure that we we have um, intention and connection with the student athlete and the coach. Making sure that when we design the learning environment, that it's not just it's not just about mental. It's about mental and tennis together. That they can see the connection. That the athletes can see the connection. And ultimately. I want our athletes and Waylo and I were big on this. Like we want, we want them to make decisions in everything that they do. And we want them to be problem solvers and we want them to be intuitive. So when I, when we think about psychology and we think about improving the athlete, anytime we're doing an activity or a drill, I want them to be trying to solve something. I want them to try and make decisions. I want them to try and be intuitive in their movements. So when we, how do we constrain the environment and the things that we'll put on the drills? Like how do we emphasize some of those elements? Um, from a simplistic point of view with some of the athletes, like some of my principles is like, like figure out for, for tennis players, like sometimes I like to frame it a little bit differently, like figure out what doesn't work and avoid it. Like what doesn't work and let's just not do it. And sometimes it's like, do less of the things that negatively impact your performance. So what are the things that negatively impact your performance? And let's just not do it. Okay. So if I give an example, like, Hey, your negative self-talk is really detrimental to your performance. Okay. Let's just not do negative self-talk. I'm not asking positive. We won't get into, but let's just not do that. Okay. Slamming your racket and your emotional outburst is not working. Okay. Let's just not do that. And then we can think about what are the things that we know really help your performance from a mental side of things. And let's do more of those things. So it's kind of that do less, do more. And sometimes framing a very simplistic way for the athletes, those are the things that kind of work for me within that um, kind of representative learning design framework. And for, for the broader program, um, 
we're really trying to think about needs based and you know we try to be data informed and what i mean by that is at the beginning of the semester with all our athletes it's working with the athlete the coach and my experience is to understand like what are the needs of that group because we deliver in a group to start with and then we individualize like what are the needs of that group and then make sure that the data kind of speaks to that we're not completely data driven but we are informed by the data and then let's develop a plan a season-long plan to make sure okay we're going to plan out based on the needs of the athlete and i'll give a specific example so when we did it uh we have four levels within tennis foundational developmental competitive and elite so when we we did our assessment um one of our groups our foundational groups they scored they scored um kind of lowest on or the area they wanted to work on most was handling pressure well Mm. They don't play tournaments. So handling pressure for our youngest athletes, they think they need that, but that's actually work with the coaches, my own experience. That's not what they need. Mm-hmm. Now, at Atakan's level, handling pressure is really important when you're playing junior grand slams. So it's it's kind of a combination working with the coach and athletes to figure out what are the what are the competencies that they need at their different developmental level. You know, at his level, you know, focus is important. Emotional regulation is always important. But it's, you know, some of those things should have been, if you're playing at a top junior level, some of those things should already be in place by the time you're hitting 16, 17, 18. And maybe mm-hmm. I've missed the boat. Or someone else has missed the boat along the way. So along along that developmental pathway, what are the what are the kind of the, the knowledge, the skills, the experiences, and the, those psychological characteristics we want to develop? So at the younger age group, it might be growth mindset, motivation, fun, as we get moving along, learning how to compete, learning how to manage mistakes, learning how to handle pressure, how to focus in key moments, those little nuances, as Adika mentioned earlier, like, you know, he, he gets distracted for a couple of points or a game, like that's over at the top level. At a junior, at lower levels, you know, you can get away with it. So understanding on that developmental level, what are the key things that we need to work on? So kind of the lowest hanging fruit. Um, so there's a lot there, but those are some of the kind of key principles that I try and think about when designing that program. The more I talk and listen to Duncan, the more I realize how you guys have jobs. You guys are always going to have stuff. You're talking <laughs> about taking away things that are not good for you, and here I am at night eating ice cream. You know, it's just like <laughs> it's kind of impossible. I'm always going to have that fight of like, ah, I know I should eat less ice cream, but. You know, I'll just eat more broccoli. It'll be fine. It'll balance out. <laughs> it's it's so tough, and and we're grown adults. You know, for mm. for for young athletes trying to be good. I mean, sometimes they don't even know what they're not doing enough of, or you know. So that's why I think all of us, you know, as coaches, are so important in guiding these young minds. Yeah, yeah. Um, Adakan, uh, we heard Duncan there talking about a few of the mental principles that you try and um uh, build into into some of the learning at the academy um what's what's one of the things that's made maybe the biggest impact on you you know you said you you've been this is your second year now at the academy mm-hmm. so in terms of like the mental side of the game what's had the biggest impact for you i think for me it was staying uh, keeping up the in- intensity and keeping up the focus uh 
every practice we are always trying to do give our best give the best we can keep up the intensity and we we just like whenever we get like distracted or we just take water break for two minutes and we just restart again and when we have a chance to hit with pros i think this is the most like difficult part because they are always like uh, keeping up the in- intensity and they're forcing us to keep up in- intensity and which is helping us really much because when i hit with pro if i get like distracted or something i start missing and the practice will not go well so i will i always need to stay there keep up the in- intensity keep focus and i think that's the mo- uh, most important thing help me here okay so so how how do you do that you know those real intense practices you're exhausted, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you you have to keep going. Like, what do you fall back on as an athlete? How, how do you actually do that? To be honest, I think it's it's all about, like, in your head. I don't think, I of course, we get tired and anything, but if I, like, if I push myself, if I push myself, I think it's, like, it's all about, I don't think, like, we get tired. I think it's all about, like, in our brain. So, Peter... Peter, if I, if I jump in, and this is a good example with, with attack, is that, you know, from the time I've known him, his emotional regulation's always been really good. Like, he's a pretty happy-go-lucky kind of guy. Like, he doesn't um, doesn't get too angry on the call. We all have our moments. But for, for us with him, it's, it you know, um, very social, very friendly, and relaxed in general. So sometimes that is that double-edged sword of, hey, you've got to lift up the intensity. We'd do simple things on call, like, you know, hopefully he remembers it would just be, you know, just checking in, like, where do you think your intensity is zero to 10 right now? Okay, yeah, I'm an eight. Okay, why not a six? Well, I'm doing this well. Okay, how do we get to a nine? Okay, I need to do this, this, and this. And those constant kind of reminders, um, again, we're not going to be perfect every day, but increasing the self-awareness around some of these things. And as you mentioned, that that forcing factor of hitting with pros and seeing, okay, that's where I need to be. Oh, that's where I want to go. That's what they're doing. That is that kind of reinforcement of, okay, I need to to do that. Because within your group, you've got different levels, but they're all, they're all, you know, similar, but then you reach, you play with it with a real pro, then it's, you know, that forcing factor of, oh my goodness, I got to get there. And, you know, that's why we like to do it. That's why we put these juniors in with the pros so they can see that and learn. Uh, so again, I think knowing each individual and knowing, okay, this is a bit of their personality and this is a strength of theirs, but also can be a, also can be um, an area they need to develop is yeah. us coaches and mental coaches knowing personalities i I never had to spend a lot of time with attacking on emotional regulation he was always pretty good with that but that focus and intensity was something that okay again not that you're bad but these are areas that we can just make small improvements on and it's a consistent it's not one day we tell them and they change it Mm -hmm. learning is that repetition 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 and you'll see you know significant development when they play every day three hours and they get that repetition and repetition of, you know, communication from the coach. When I'm not there, Wei Lua, his current coaches will, will continue to highlight, hey, these are areas we need to focus on. And I can jump in on this. And, and Peter, you haven't seen a talk play, but he's he's definitely being humble when he says, you know, losing focus and talking about him and, you know, a pro level. I mean, he's hitting the ball just as great as these pros. 
but it is that fine difference and he is true it's that focus and when he says lose focus it's not like he's looking somewhere else or walking you know seeing who's looking around or mm-hmm. you know making jokes i mean it's just a it barely a percent of focus drop where that pro is dialed in on his purpose you know going back to the beginning of what we're talking about you know difference between student athletes and and pros they are 100% eating, sleeping, breathing, thinking about their goal and nothing else gets in the way where the young mind does have so many different things to think about, especially someone like Atak who's trying to get there. He's walking that journey of, I'm going to get there. I don't know if I'm going to make it, but I'm trying and I'm really trying to get rid of all of these little details because... I'm close. I know I can practice with these pros, but if I can just do it for longer, you know, and that may be the difference between him, you know, and someone that's 600 in the world ATP is just staying focused a little bit longer, hitting that ball that I hit well, just a few more times than I do now. So, you know, he's doing a great job. And I think we can see that at every different level, upwards or downwards, you know, the guys that are looking up at a talk saying, man, I wish I could play like him. They just can't quite do it as long as he can. So, you know, it's, it is these minute differences, mm-hmm. you know, in levels, especially when we're talking about, you know, our thoughts and our mental game. So, uh, Atakan, Duncan and Wailu both said some really nice things about you there. What, what do you, what's it like kind of hearing that about your game? Uh, mm. <laughs> one, one second. Uh, it's it's really good to know that they're thinking that way about me. I had I had a lot of chances to work with Duncan and Waylu as well. They're always there for me. It's really great to hear from them, and I think they're kind of right about the, the things they said. I mean, it's just like small difference, but this is the like big difference. What it, what the makes big difference? The small things makes the big difference for me. Mm-hmm. Where we where we trying to get there, it's like really hard, but it's not impossible. So we just I think gotta keep working and stay positive. We have to do whatever it takes. Awesome, you lo- love to hear it. Um, yeah. w- w- Wailu, um when you're working with athletes, you work with all these young people. You know, we said at the start you've been a coach for twenty years, been at the academy for twelve years. Um, as as you see these young athletes develop the mental side of their games, develop the physical, technical, tactical side of their games, what what are some of the biggest changes that you see in the young people that you work with, either on the court or off the court? It's incredible these days. I honestly, it's my opinion. I believe that we are better coaches than our coaches were, mainly because our kids now make us work harder for it. The instant gratification is a huge thing. And then the just given of authority. I mean, especially for me coming from an Asian background and our elders were respected regardless, whether they were strangers or not. If my parents introduced me, it was Mr. Mrs. and and yes, sir, and and all of this. So if I relate it to how I grew up as a tennis player, if your name was coach, I was listening and then I was doing. Regardless of what your background was or your resume, where nowadays when I'm coaching students, 
our mental coaches know this, our strength and conditioning coaches, every coach knows this on our campus is you have to build a relationship first. There has to be a, I care about you. I'm interested in you. I'm interested in your journey, what you're going through. Now the student gives you the authority to coach them. Now I can buy into what you're saying because I know you're for me. You're not just checking off a box. I'm not just a number in your day. Mm -hmm. So that is a big difference. We definitely work harder as coaches. And a lot of times, especially in the beginning, has nothing to do with how much I know about tennis or mental side of things. It is about, are you getting to know me? Do you care about what I'm going through? Do you care about my goals? So we spend so much time getting to know a person like what's your what number one what's my name you know do you know my name or am i just boy you know am i just player <laughs> you know then after that you know it where did i come from you know do especially here at imj academy with all these different cultures you know so many of our international students when it gets to you know our our school year starts end of august when we get into october and november and our international students are just kind of moping around am i missing home the biggest thing i can do for you is help them with food because that's a huge part of the culture that they're missing and i know talk smiling big time because he misses his turkish food all the time <laughs> you know a lot of our asians miss the same thing because the food here is so different and that's a bit of home that they that's kind of you can get easily you know so yeah. if i can you know send him to somewhere we can get a great meal it doesn't have to be turkish food but somewhere he can get a good meal then that just gives them a sense of hey i care i understand and then they're more willing to work for me. But in the big scheme of things, it's it's to reach their goals. So, you know, building that relationship is the biggest difference between students nowadays and and before, you know, how we were students. Mm. And, and Duncan, then what about the time? You know, obviously you have hopes for the change that you're going to see in students from when they come into the academy to when you send them out of the academy at the end of their journey. Like, what are the changes that you see in athletes across their journey with you? That's a really good question because, you know, we're, we're dealing with, with pretty large volume of, of student athletes. So when I was coaching the test program, I may have, you know, four or five groups, which are going to be 100 athletes. So the reality is that I wouldn't connect, um, you know, super in depth with all 100. The way I looked at it was, hey, can I provide... Um, a base level of kind of personal relationship connection and, and information that gives you a, a setting of who I am and potential things that can help you. And if that's, if that's where they, if that's where it stops for that athlete, great. And then if there's some athletes and, and over time, some athletes will gravitate, will, will latch on and say, I want to learn more, you know, we'll try and, take as much from me as possible. And that's fantastic. And that's where I'm like, okay, I'll go as deep and as, uh, you, you know, I'll support you as much as I can within both of our boundaries, then I'm all in. So with some of our athletes, I, you know, some of them who have just graduated last year when were seniors, I I'd worked with them for five years. So I, when they came in as, you know, 12, 13, I can think of a few that went to college this year. I worked with them every year for five years. Mm. So, you know, our relationship at the end of that, Nothing I was saying was particularly new, but they knew I was there to support. 
and it would be, you know, repetition of the messaging. And I'd also try and again, find different ways to say the same thing. Um, obviously I want to see, you know, ideally like to see some behavioral change, you know, I think learning, you know, is, is amplified in the behavior. So if we're working on emotional regulation, have I actually helped them in that area? Um, knowing that they're going through hormonal change and all the rest of it, have I helped in that area? Have I helped when it comes to, you know, just making sure they have a routine? Have I made sure that I've helped with, you know, elements of focus and identity, um, mistake management? Have I helped in some of these key areas that will have the biggest impact? And ultimately, um, one thing that Wei Lu and I worked with athletes a lot on was was confidence. Um, and I mean confidence not just in a performance sense, but just I think as a as a young person having that ability to look an adult in the eye, ask questions, you know, have that self develop that self of identity of who I am, not just on the court, but off the court, helping with some of those areas. Um, those have been the most fulfilling for me. So I think I've, I've thrown a whole lot at you, but it's, you know, <laughs> with hundreds of athletes over the time, yeah. you know, so I'm going to have close relationships with some of them and some, it's going to be just a little more, um, information driven and and they're going to keep it at that surface level and that that's where the coach is their main person i'm not their main person or the strength coach is their main person that they go to for certain things or their leadership or their nutrition coach that's where we we try and act as a team um coming back to something where lou said that relationship part is so important we have coaches that have literally you know they've won grand slams They've been top 20 in the world as players. They've coached the best, some of the best players in the world. But our athletes don't know them as those people. They know them as their coach. You know, as you read my bio at the beginning, I've, I've had the fortunate, you know, time in my career to work with some very high-level athletes. Adekan shouldn't care about that. He shouldn't care if I work with ATP players. He should care about how I'm working with him and how I treat him. And that's what our, our athletes today, that's what they care about. They don't care whether I have a PhD or like that doesn't matter. What should matter, and I agree with the way Lou is like, how do I treat them and how do I how am I there? How am I turning up for them? Not my qualifications, my educational background, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where it is different. Like I and I came from an academic setting, you're not giving anything here. They they care about, you know, are you here for me? And then they'll start listening to if you've got any knowledge to share. Okay, after that, <laughs> after that, then I'll I'll listen to you once they know you're here for them. And and I say quite rightly, that's that's the way it should be. We should be there, build relationship first, and then you know, then we can focus on some of the other elements. Okay, f- final question then. Uh, I'm going to ask each of you the question. I'll, I'll stick with you, Duncan, for the time being because you're you're on a roll here. Um, <laughs> what what would be your what would be your advice for a student athlete? Like, what's the most important thing that a student athlete can work on? And again, you, you've kind of just talked about a few a few different things there, but uh, if you could sort of distill it down to one one thing that's most important. Yeah, I know where your question's going. I'm going to be I'm going to be a pain here, Pete. I'm going to say. <laughs> Five years ago, when I came here, I'd give you like a, that kind of answer. What, what, I, what I've tried to change is like, I don't, I, I try not to just give advice that like I'm not this vessel of knowledge that Adakan should listen to me. It's like, if I can ask really good questions of him 
and have him come up with his idea of what that solution is. I'll guide him, but not provide that advice. That's the best. That's how I'm trying to work with the athletes. I'm trying to, I'm trying to guide them as opposed to, Hey, look at me. I'll give you the answer. It's, you know, what do you think in this situation? Or, you know, what's your opinion first? And they'll, you know, 99% of the time, if you ask good questions, they'll, they'll have that answer. So as opposed to me providing advice, it's, it's supporting them and guiding them. And to be honest, I've learned that, yeah, a little bit of education, but really good coaches, that's what they do. They don't just give you boom, boom, boom. So, again, a little bit of a cop-out, but I'd say <laughs> uh, that, that's the way I'd approach it now. I wouldn't expect anything less. Uh, <laughs> doctor, you've been in school too long. Let's let's come to the coach then, Wei Lu. Same, same question then. Advice for a student athlete. Uh, what would you say is the thing that the student athletes should be working on? I've been trying to listen to Duncan and panicking over answering the question because I feel like there's so many good <laughs> answers. Uh, honestly, if I can narrow it to one thing is is you, and I'll answer in two parts. I'll cop out too. You have to know who you are, and then you have to know what you want, right? Where you're going. If you know those two things, then I think you're going to be set on a great path. Uh, and then if there's a third thing, it's just ask ton of questions, use help. You know, if you're going somewhere and you know you have a goal, you got to ask people that have either been there or have coached through it. A place like us here at IMG Academy, we have so many coaches who have played at so many different levels, probably at a level and they've gone to a place where you want to go. So find out how they did it and see if you can take something from their journey to kind of streamline. You know, I'm a I'm a parent of three and my goal as a father is to literally give them all of my knowledge in all of my years and have them know it at a younger age, right? So they can fast track it. So if I'm going to be a coach to a student is I'm literally giving you everything I have, my failures, my successes, if you would just listen. So know who you are so that you don't, shoot, if I'm only five, seven short Asian here, you know, I got fast on my legs and that was my game. If you're six four, you're not going to play my game. I don't have too much as far as that goes, but this is how I went about using my strengths. So you're going to use your strengths the way you use it. So knowing who you are, where you're going to go, and and listen to good people. Awesome, I love it, love it. Um, Atakan, last word to you. This is a podcast about the student athlete, so we'll give mm-hmm. the last word to the student athlete. Um, Two part question for you. Um, the first part is during your time at the academy, during your time at IMG, what have you really learned about yourself? And the second part of the question is, again, what advice would you give to another student athlete based on your experience? Uh, first, what I learned about myself, being here, I think we are really lucky, actually, because so many other guys or other players around the world Maybe they don't have the like same opportunities as us, and because in IMG Academy, as Weilu said, we have really good good coaches, we have really good pros around, we have all these facilities, and I'm, I think we are really lucky because so many people has don't have that opportunities, and that's what I want to say. And second part, I would say, as Weilu said, we have a lot of coaches to show us the way they because they've been there before. We have to listen to them. We have to do what we have to do, what it, what it, whatever it takes. We have to just keep 
working hard. I mean, it's not gonna be easy, or we don't know if I'm gonna make pro or no. But my, my the way I look after like ten years or fifteen years, maybe I'm gonna turn pro. Maybe I'm not gonna be. But I wanna say like I did best I can, and right now I'm here. I made pro, but even if I don't, I I wanna be like I did the best I can, but I couldn't. But I'm not. I, I'm not like regret. I don't regret it. You know. Awesome. Well, I think that's well said. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a wonderful place to uh, to finish the podcast on. Um, I just want to say thank you to all three of you once again for for taking a little bit of time out of your days to uh, to come and talk to me about the psychology of the student athlete. So to uh, Atikan Karahan, thank you so much for uh, for giving me a little bit of your time. Thank you so much. Uh, Wei Lu Chang, same thing. Thank you so much. It's been uh, been an absolute pleasure. No, pleasure's all mine. Thank you. And Dr. Duncan Simpson, uh, thanks for, first of all, arranging this this trio of guests uh, and really appreciate you taking a little bit of time out of your day as well. Thanks, B. It's been my pleasure. Well, I hope that uh, you lot out there in, in podcast listener land have enjoyed the conversation. Uh, as usual, don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss out on any of the just stellar content that is produced from uh, from 80% Mental. Uh, you can do that at the website, 80percentmental.com. You can follow us on Twitter at EPM Podcast or on Instagram at 80percentmental. Uh, do leave us a comment, leave us a review, let us know what you think. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts. So I hope you've enjoyed what you've heard today and I will see you next time. Well, I won't see you though, will I? Cause it's a, it's a, it's a podcast. Anyway.